responded to his initiative, and uh, they've been married for 40 years, one years, and hey, here I am, so how do you like that? Uh, but then even, even more than that, my wonderful and beautiful grandmother is here this morning. She just turned another year of age, and she was married for six, 62 years to my grandfather. Wow. Wow. Now, 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 in their fulfillment of their vows, do you think they were perfect all the time? Like, do you think they always lived that out perfectly? No. But they persevered. They, they went the distance. They fulfilled the promises that they have fulfilled these promises that they made to one another on that day. And so let me just be very clear here. The most important reality about your wedding vows is, are you ready for this? It is today. Today. So Marcia and I said I do on July 22nd, 2006, but the most important thing about those vows that were exchanged is how I live on September 28th, 2014. You tracking with me? Well, let me just uh, get your tissues out, okay? Ladies, get your tissues out. Uh, this is, these are my wedding vows that I wrote for Marcia. Now, now, whether you wrote your vows or whether you said traditional vows or some combination of the two, hey, guys, don't hate on this color, right? It matches our curtains, all right? I got this for her anniversary this year, all right? So, um, but I, you know, I did this myself. I was proud. And, and this is what I said, all right? Believing God in his perfect providence has brought us together for his purposes. I, Tanner, take you, Marcia, as God's good gift to me to be my wife. I covenant with you this day to promote your sanctification through speaking the word over you, employing spiritual graces, and pursuing excellence in ministry in our partnership of the gospel. You remember these words, Marcia? I pledge, I further resolve to lovingly lead you as Christ the church by honoring and cherishing you, protecting and providing for you, sacrificing and seeking your good all the days of my life. Not an easy job, by the way, as Seth pointed out for us earlier. I pledge to nurture our friendship, to live with you in gentleness and understanding, and to satisfy your every desire as God supplies. In the sight of God in this assembly, I join with you as one to display the mystery of Christ and his church and pray for grace to keep these vows until Christ returns or we see his face to the glory of God. Now, the most important thing about those vows is how I live out my faithful love to Marcia today. And when the sun rises tomorrow, it will be how I love her tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. So, so, so if you're married here today, if you would just kind of ask God to give you grace, to go back in, in, the, in the, the files of your mind and dust off the cobwebs a little bit and remember when you said for richer or poor in sickness and in health, till death do you part, that, that, that those were future promises that you made before God and those who love you. Because marriage is hard. We don't always want to love our spouse. We don't always feel like it when they have hurt us. We want to turn and run away. 
And perhaps it's only those promises that you made on that day that will keep you in your marriage tomorrow. This is so important because as Stanley Howaross says, professor at Duke University, he says, we never really know whom we marry. Okay, think about this. This is deep. Uh, We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. All right, be encouraged. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change for marriage being the enormous thing that it is means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. You, you, follow, you following Stanley here? So in other words... When, when two people say, I do, they're not going to be the same person a year from that moment, five years from that moment, because marriage changes us. It exposes us. It, it exposes us in a way that we see how incredibly selfish and sinful we can be, but also how loving and gracious we can be as well. So, so in your marriage, if you have covenanted to fulfill those promises, then let me encourage you to do so with all of your heart today. Covenant love is unconditional love. Number two, covenant love is relentless love. I love what Hosea 6 says about about God. Okay, there's this, this call, come, let us return to the Lord. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Why? For his going out is as sure as the dawn. In other words, God's faithfulness is like the sun that will rise tomorrow. Sun rose at 6.38 this morning. Anybody see it? Tomorrow, 6.39. Like the next day, 6.40. Like it's just, it's going to happen. And that's how faithful God is. That's how consistent God is. His going out is as sure as the dawn. And so, listen. We've, we've already established, and, and you know it to be true if you're married, that experientially there will be times. And if you're engaged or if you're praying about marriage one day, just know there will be times when your spouse will, no, will not measure up. Just, just, just count on it. Your spouse is going to fail you. Your spouse is going to sin against you, sometimes in heinous and egregious ways. And so how do you respond in those moments? Well, let me just encourage you. The first thing I think we we ought to do when we are sinned against is we should step back and we should remind ourselves that we too are sinful people. We too are like Gomer in this story we have played the whore and gone after other gods in our relationship with the one true God. If that's too strong for you, I'm sorry, like that's just what the Bible says. So if, if we have walked down that adulterous, idolatrous path, can, can that not just give us a little perspective Can that just humble us a little bit to to kind of take ourselves off of this kind of high place where we're looking down on our spouse and telling them to measure up when we don't measure up ourselves? 
two sinful people come together as one in a marriage. So, so before you make demands of your spouse in light of their sin, why don't you just take a step back? Not, I'm not asking you to sweep their sin under the rug. I'm just asking you to remind yourself of your own sin. Because when you do that, that's going to provide a foundation for then reasonable, hopefully, communication, which is a challenge sometimes. It's going to provide the, the backdrop then to be able to extend forgiveness and pursue biblical reconciliation. And listen, if, if you're struggling in your marriage, look, this is, this is not, not going to be shocking news to pastors because... This is real people in a real world. So if, if you're struggling today, like, would you just have the boldness to, to kind of raise your, not like right now, but just kind of raise your hand at some point, email us, call us, let us know, fill out your connect card, because we want to, as a faith community, come around you and say, we understand, we love you, and we want to see God work to bring your marriage into a better place that displays covenant, relentless love. And let me just speak to those who may have experienced broken marriages before. I know many people, we have many friends, family members who have experienced the, the pain of a broken marriage. And, and listen, whether that was primarily due to the sin of your spouse or perhaps your own sin, I'm confident that the story of grace and faithfulness that God wants to give you can sustain you through life's greatest trials and bring you out on the other side of God's grace. So I hope you'll receive that as we continue to examine this story. Now, that's, that's the major stuff, okay? Egregious sin, adultery, Problems with pornography, unfaithfulness, argumentative. I mean, we could just, we could just kind of go on down the list of, of ways that spouses sin against one another. But, but, but what about the little moments? Like, what, what about just the little moments of everyday life in your marriage? I want to propose to you that this next characteristic is most required for the everyday moments, and that is this. Covenant love is powerful love. It's powerful love. Our love should be strong and fierce every day. Tim Chester says this, daily thoughtfulness matters more than grand gestures. Anybody agree with that? Like just daily being thoughtful, being considerate, being kind, being patient, not being self-seeking, it's, it's in these daily little moments that matter more. They add up to even be more weighty than the grand gestures that we could uh, exercise in our marriages. So, so I say that to say, look, marriage is work. It's hard. Love is a verb, right? It requires action. It's, it's not like, it's not static. It's not just kind of chill out and just receive, but it's, it's, it's moving, it's active. It's, it's working for the good of your spouse to, to love them as God has loved you. And so I find the words of one Old Testament scholar regarding Gomer extremely challenging here uh, when, he, when he says this. The tragedy of Gomer, 
is the shriveling of her capacity to love. As the muscles of the legs will shrivel if we do not walk, so too the muscles of love will shrink if they are not exercised in the true and profound forms of loving. So in your marriage, if you hit pause on daily loving your spouse, setting aside your own desires so that you can love and serve your spouse, just know that your love will slowly, almost uh, unknowingly shrivel right before your eyes. Six months will pass, 12 months will pass. You'll look back and you'll say, what's wrong with my marriage? And it's because you have stopped those thousand little moments and decisions to exercise love. But the flip side of that is true. When, when you love, when you serve, when you listen, when you turn off the, the TV so that you can engage in some quality conversation, your love will be strengthened for one another. God wants us to love our spouses with fierce, strong love. And, and as we think about this, let me, just, let me just give you some advice, okay? If you want to display this kind of love, this kind of strong, fierce, relentless, unconditional love, what you need to do is stare the love of God in the face and go do likewise. I mean, I, I guarantee, I just, let me just straight talk. I guarantee if husbands are failing to love their wives, it's because they are not looking at God. They have no vision of God. Chapter 2, verse 14. These are words to faithless, adulterous Israel. God will have mercy. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she shall answer the days of her youth, youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will, I call, will you call me my Baal. Verse 23, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. In spite of our sin and rebellion, God pursues us. He woos us. You see, allures us to come back to him. He speaks tenderly to us when we deserve chastisement. He puts his arm around us and he brings us back. which is what God calls each of us to do for one another. As I have loved you, so love one another. Our love, if you remember from a few weeks ago, should be ebullient, effusive, bountiful, 
relentless like God's love for us. So number one, build your marriage on the foundation of covenant love. Number two, experience the blessing of covenant marriage by dwelling together in inseparable unity. Let's go back to chapter three, look at verse two. This is Hosea's response. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Okay, let's, let's stop right here. There are two questions that we naturally ask of this text. Number one, why did he have to do this? We can't know conclusively, but it seems as though either Gomer had compiled some, some kind of debt that needed to be paid off, or potentially worse than that, she was uh, in some form of, of slavery, perhaps even sexual slavery, that Hosea had to go and buy her out of. So that's, that's the that's the. The, the, why he had to do it, but the larger question, the greater question is, why would he want to do it? Why would he want to? Look at what it says in verse three. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. I mean, can you feel the gravity of this moment? He sets his eyes on his, his wife who had gone after another man or probably other men. And, and in her shame, he looks her in the eye with tears welling up and his love goes beyond her sin. His love goes beyond her sin. And, and how, how could this be? Well, it's because his intention is to fulfill the promises that he made to dwell with her permanently. And so this is what covenant marriage is about. Genesis 2, 24 says what? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This means that the marriage relationship is the priority relationship in all of life. Not, not parents, not children, not friends. The husband-wife relationship is the supreme relationship as God has ordained it under the sun. So that's the language. It's very strong. Leave your father and mother and, and, and hold fast or cling. Be glued together to your spouse. You should love one another. You should dwell with one another in an inseparable way. Nothing should ever eclipse it or supersede it. So, so let me just pause here for a little excursus and say it's, it's this understanding of Genesis 2.24 and what, what, how God designed marriage in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, which is affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew 19 and, uh, and other places of the gospel, as well as the apostles throughout the New Testament that we would affirm at Redemption Hill that marriage is to be between one man and one woman in covenant relationship. 
So, so let's think big picture. What does this, this rules out, which is what John talked about some last week. It, it rules out any sexual relations outside of the covenant of marriage. Fornication, sex before marriage, um, even the, why, why not co- cohabitation? Why not um, just pornography here and there? It's because of the, the nature of covenant. There's a commitment, a shared mutual promises that have been made between a man and a woman, which then also consequently rules out any homosexual acts or homosexual marriage is seeing that as ordained by God in any way. Now, I understand that in our culture, there are many people that we love, I I hope, you work with, you have neighbors, and, and they would not agree with this, and perhaps they would even live their lives contrary to this view. And, and let me just say, what, what is the position of Redemption Hill toward our neighbors and that kind of lifestyle? It is that we absolutely love them as people in our community, just like we love anybody who does not buy into God's plan for their life as we understand it in the Bible. So I can just tell you, I mean, we take our girls to the park, and man, I get to know people, and they tell me about their, their spouse, and I'm speaking to a man, he's telling me about his husband. And the first few times, I'm like, you know, I'm just not used to that as much, growing up in different parts of the country where that's not legalized, but, but, but you know what? I carry on my conversation just like I would with anyone else. I whip out my Redemption Hill invite card locked and loaded like I am with anybody else. Hey, would you come to my church? You would be welcomed in our church, which is 100% true. Now, it doesn't mean that they wouldn't be a member of our church because we expect our members to live according to God's guidelines as displayed in the Bible, but but our love for them is, is, is unwavering. So I hope you know that. I hope you feel that. I hope that Redemption Church will be a safe place for those who wrestle with same-sex attraction or, 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 or asking questions about their fundamental identity. Just to know that they can come here in, in a safe community and explore these large questions of life because we are compelled because of God's love that knows no boundaries to love all people in the very same way. Now, let me speed up. What does it mean for two people to become one? This is what I would say, okay? Um, physically and sexually. We're going we're gonna to talk more about this next week, but God has created physical intimacy as part of his design for marriage for both procreation and pleasure. And, and John already will cover that more next week. But, but I, I want to say this. This goes, the physical aspects, it goes beyond just what happens in, in the bedroom, okay? It, it goes to our finances, how we manage the home, life circumstances, all of these things. What God is saying is a man and woman are not to be two, but they're to be one. Emotionally, when your spouse has joy, sorrows, pains, struggles, you should be the first to enter into those joys, struggles, and pains. Relationally, I hope if you're married that you would say, my spouse is my best friend. 
I have no greater companion in life. There is no one I want to spend more time with. There's no one I want to take to a game more than my wife, even though I have to explain to her what's going on at the game. You know what I'm saying? Amen, that's right. So, so in, in your relationship, in your companionship, how well are you communicating? How well are you uh, using words that build one another up in your marriage? I don't have time to explain it, but Tolkien says, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all reward. I mean, that's good. That's deep. In other words, because you hopefully esteem your spouse so much, what they say to you carries more weight. I explained it. More weight than anyone else. See that? Write that down. Think about it. You'll get it. All right. Relationally, spiritually. I love that, that God calls two people together to live out his purposes. So the, pur- the purpose for singleness and the purpose for marriage is one and the same is to glorify God. So when Marsh and I were, were dating, I can remember pointing as one of my friends told me, Psalm 34.3, this should be your mindset in your, in your potential marriage. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. What a great mindset to say, this is, this is the aim of our life. This is the mission of our marriage. I mean, I can, I can look at, at, at people in our church and examples where uh, I think about the Costellas. I've known them for a year and a half. Okay, they came to Redemption Hill on March the 3rd, 2013, all right? Just, if anybody's keeping score. I know these things. Nobody else cares. But um, Jim and Margaret, we've gotten to know one another because they've been in our community group, and, and we've done life together, and now we're friends. And, and I'm just going to tell you, I can't think of Jim without thinking of Margaret. And I can't think of Margaret without thinking of Jim. Why is that? Because God has made them one. They're one now. They're not two individual lives going separate ways. You do your own thing. I'll do my thing. No, they're one. This is what Ray Ortland says. He says, one flesh is essential to the biblical view of marriage. It means one mortal life fully shared. Two selfish me's starting to learn to think like one unified us. Sharing one everything, one life, one reputation, one bed, one suffering, one budget, one family, one mission, and so forth. No barriers, no hiding, no aloofness. Now total openness with total sharing and total solidarity until death parts them. That is good. So, so let, me, let me tell you what's going to happen. In your marriage, if, if, if love is work and love is, in a sense, war, meaning we have to fight for this every single day, I want to tell you that Satan will work to drive a wedge in every one of these ways in your marriage. Physically, sexually, he will say, you know what, man, one little look, pulling up some porn on your, on your computer screen, that's not going to destroy your soul. That's not going to be a big deal to your, I mean, that's not going to be a big deal to your spouse. Just ask them, ask them how they feel about that. Emotionally, oh, her, her friends, man, they can, they're, they're happy about that. She has the emotional support that she needs. Relationally, superficiality, just kind of the, the, the norm and in your, in your daily lives, not, not going deeper, not having quality conversation, and even spiritually. I mean, like, is Sunday enough? 
Let me just, if, if men are supposed to lead, I believe they are. I mean, men, when's the last time you initiated prayer with your wife? Satan wants to say, you know what, man? Like, you pray together on Sunday, right? You're like sitting next to each other. Doesn't that count? Women, you can, I mean, we don't believe leadership means you can't, you don't have a voice. Like, suggest it. Like, let's pray together. Let's, let's do this thing because we love one another. We, we're one. This is such a powerful story. Hosea coming to, to Gomer and saying, you must dwell with me for many days, for, for an indefinite number of days, because his faithful love for her portrays God's faithful love for his people. And this is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about marriage and he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and his church. So the gospel is the foundation for our marriage. If you have Christ in common, that, then at a, at a fundamental level, you have all things in common. The gospel is, is the framework for your marriage. And what I mean by that is that as God has loved us in Christ, so we love one another. As God has served us in Christ, so we love one another. As God has forgiven us in Christ, so we forgive one another. As God has been incredibly kind and gracious to us in Christ, so we should be incredibly gracious and kind to one another. As God has pursued us in Christ, the God, the eternal Son of God becoming flesh, so we should also pursue one another. When's the last time you took your wife out on a date, fellas? So beautiful. It's so beautiful when we live according to God's design for our marriages. Look, I know there's a lot of conviction in the room because I know we don't measure up. And so here's what I would plead with you to do. Come back to the cross. If, if you are married here today and you're saying, Tanner, my marriage isn't what God desires for it to be, could you just come to God and ask him to fill you with his spirit? By the way, before... Paul goes on in Ephesians 5 and he talks about marriage. He gave a really clear command in 5.18 that says, be filled with the Spirit. So listen, you can't do this thing in your own strength. You will fall on your face in the short term. But through God's grace, we can receive what he wants to give us and live in our marriages to his glory. So if you're married, would you come to God and say, God, I don't have it. I'm poor in spirit. I need your grace to fill me up so that I can love my spouse as you have loved me as your church. But, but then let me just ask everyone, if, whether you're, you're single, married, or whatever station of life, let me just ask you, are you daily receiving the unconditional, relentless love of God? Because this is what fuels everything in our lives. So I want to pause and pray, and then we're going to sing and respond to God in song. But if you would, just, man, I don't care if you're not singing or whatever, but if you would, as we're praying, maybe you just need to continue in prayer. Maybe you just say, God, would you work in my heart? Would you, would you move me in such a way that I more clearly reflect 
your great love for us. Like wherever God has you today, even if you're, even if you're here and you're saying, man, I need to be in Christ. I've never responded uh, to the gospel and how God wants to set me free from my adultery and idolatry. Just know that God's grace abounds today and he wants to give you his love today. So let's pray together and then we're going to sing to God in response to his great love for us. Father, we ask that you would move us. We don't have the power to move ourselves to be faithful husbands and faithful wives. We're broken people. We're, we're, we're far too often more like Gomer than we are Hosea and the daily grind of life and marriage. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your relentless love, your effusive love, and that, Lord, as we stare at you, that you, by your grace, would change us to make us people who look more and more like Jesus in all of our relationships, and particularly for those in our church who are married. So, Lord, I pray for husbands that you would empower them. Lord, I pray for wives that you would empower them. And I pray that Redemptional Church would be a stronger church because we have stronger marriages that fill our church. We pray all this through Christ.